by the power of Ray Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Toy Isle. I'm Steve Garcia, and today I'm joined again by my lovely, lovely co-host, Aaron. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And Ben. Yo, Joe. (laughs) And if you guys heard that, then today's episode is about G.I. Joe. And man, did I do some research on G.I. Joe. I don't know a lot about the toy line. And since this is, since this is a toy show called The Toy Owl, we will get into the the toy the toy aspect of it. But um, Ben and Aaron, uh, how long has it been since you guys watched the cartoon series? Uh, about seven years for me. It was right before we moved down to Florida that we got on a tear and watched every uh, toy cartoon from the 80s. Oh wow! I've probably I've probably watched it a few episodes here and there over the past couple of years, but I think the movie kind of holds a special place near and dear to my heart. See, awesome. my favorite thing is the Fensler films uh, redubs of the um, public service announcements, but that's that might be beside the point here. Awesome, awesome, man. So for those of you listening right now for the audience, and if you guys don't know about G.I. Joe or its origins or the cartoon series. So um, do you guys know what G.I. Joe is known in the UK? Uh, Action Force. Correct. Correct. So G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Uh, And again, I'm going to specify that a real American hero. I don't know what you were actually like. You know, call somebody a real American hero, but whatever that is, that's what G.I. Joe is. And they're also known as Action Force in the U.K. And uh, G.I. Joe was a half-hour American animated television series created by Ron Freeman. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Ron Freeman worked on He-Man. If, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was another creator on the He-Man television series. Um, but literally, uh, it's based on a toy line from Hasbro. And the cartoon ran in syndication from 1983 to 1986. 95 episodes were produced. Um, Hasbro launched the G.I. Joe Real American Hero toy line in 1982 alongside the Marvel comic series. So Marvel commissioned um, a fully animated 30-second television commercials, which were per- broadcast and produced to promote the toy line. And then finally, in the spring of 1982, due to the popularity of the commercials, G.I. Joe came out with a miniseries plot called The Mass Device. And man, I just finished watching that miniseries episode on YouTube, and my mind was blown. (laughs) Again, like, you guys haven't seen the cartoons for, what, like seven years or something like that? Um, But man, so... It's a it's a it's a five part miniseries, and in the series, it's a plot 
called the mass device. And in this plot, Cobra is trying to acquire the three catalytic elements which power a machine powerful enough to control the weather. Um, and it was five episodes. And in, and in the second episode, I couldn't stop laughing because Duke had this, like, neck neck kind of like controller on his neck and cobra was controlling him like a street fighter video game and then uh destro was controlling this he-man looking guy and they were just fighting they were just fighting like it was like a video game in the second episode and and, and like I, I i just couldn't stop laughing man and, and and i was like okay what is going on in this cartoon right now so um G.I. Joe was promoted to a full series in 1985 with an initial order for a first season of 55 more episodes in order to make up, and we already spoke about this, the 65-episode syndication. Now, Ben and Aaron, you guys know the G.I. Joe song, right? Yes, I do. I'm not yes, going to sing it for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> now, um... I'm just going to break this down for the audience listener right now. I'm not going to do the whole song, but uh, G.I. Joe is the codename for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose? To defend human freedom against COBRA, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. And that's literally one of the most famous things in that theme song. Every time that came on, for some reason, especially after I was done rewatching that youtube miniseries every time it came up to that part i don't know why i just lost it i i, I just i just was like wow yes gi joe defend human freedom against cobra i was just having such a great time like when that came up man and and it, and it was just awesome like just to relive that gi joe cartoon show so going back to the show the average episode had at least three separate battles um of course gi joe was an action show pure and simple with 95 episodes, this, this adds up to a lot of fighting. A lot of fighting and a lot of action. Now, you have to keep in mind that they cannot show actual bullets. So what did they use instead of bullets on this show? Red lasers and blue lasers. Exactly. Red and blue lasers. And guess what? Nobody got killed. Every exploding plane had a parachute strap guy. Every laser blast would miss their target. The amount of cartoon violence could have easily become repetitive and dumb. Amazingly, though, the G.I. Joe writers and directors would not let this happen. The amount of variation they got out of these battles was amazing. And here we go. G.I. Joe fought Cobra in the sky, on the ground, under the sea. Oh, and oh, yeah, in outer space. Yeah, I just said that. They actually fought in outer space. They fought on mountains, deserts, tundra, jungle, ancient ruins, office buildings, in the deepest trenches of the ocean. They fought in jets, tanks, hand gliders, jeeps, boats, aircraft carriers, submarines, hovercraft, helicopters, horses, trains, and the list goes on and on and on. So as you can imagine, like, if G.I. Joe was an action cartoon show, these writers had to come up with different plots different storylines, different everything. I mean, how hard can that be, man? And for a toy line showcasing all those, like, vehicles, trust me, man, like, it was just, like, a 30-minute toy commercial. Um, also, the 1980s was really the beginning of widespread racial integration in cartoons. And Ben and Aaron, 
I believe that during the mass episode, we talked about racial integration in cartoons in the 80s. Yeah. yeah, and how it was a little bit blundered with mask with uh, some fakey accents, but it was a good effort nonetheless. Oh man, so GI Joe had so much of that. There are definitely good ways and bad ways of dealing with this diversity, and in the 1980s, it was mostly bad, and I mean really bad. Most of the time, it was a rainbow coalition of token characters. There was one black guy. One Latino, one Asian, maybe a Native American. It was always seemed stiff and forced. But this was not so with G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe was integrated in a way that at least 20 years ahead of its time, there were multiple African Americans, Stalker, Roblox, Dyke, Iceberg, Alpine. There were Native American characters, which is Spirit and Airborne, Asian Americans, Quick Kick, Jinx. Latin Americans, Law, Zap, Shipwreck, Alpine, Americans, pretty much everyone. So G.I. Joe had so many racial integration in their cartoons, man. And 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 you know what? Like for G.I. Joe, it was ahead of its time when it came to that. Just showcasing, like, hey man, you know what? We can all fight Cobra together. It doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't matter the color of your skin, we can all be G.I. Joe together. Now, how many G.I. Joes do you guys think are out there? Are we talking figures or characters? Uh, let's talk characters in the cartoon show. 300. I'm going to go a little lower. Um, in the cartoon, the original cartoon, I'm guessing you probably had 60 to 80. Wow. You know what? You are you hit the nail on the head there, Ben. So yeah, there were there were a lot of characters in the G.I. Joe cartoon. But there were sixteen members of G.I. Joe and twenty in Cobra's High Command. There was not a core team of characters, and every episode dealt with a different group of Joes and Cobras. And they didn't spend a lot of time on just one character development or growth. But that really wasn't the point of the show. Realistically, the point of the show was to what? What was the point of the show in the 80s? A every single cartoon show. To sell toys. Exactly. The point of the show was to get kids to buy the action figures, vehicles, and play sets. Now, the easy way to deal with this many characters is to make them a mirage of different one-dimensional personalities. So they had to take all these characters... 60 G.I. Joe characters, 20 Cobra Commander characters, and make them one-dimensional personalities. And you know that um, one guy is like a Zen master who speaks only in platitudes. There's this one slub that loves to fart. Uh, it's just like different characters. They, 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 the, the writers had so much to do in this show. It, it, was, it was just amazing for the time, everything that they had to do, man. So like... If there is just one real reason to watch G.I. Joe, it's this. So for everybody listening right now, if you're going to go back and watch the cartoon, this is the real reason to watch the show. Because the show was freaking weird. G.I. Joe was just all over the place. So the way that I heard it was that Hasbro, the makers of the toys, would give a list to the Sunbow Riders of which characters and vehicles to use in each episode. 
So Hasbro would be like, hey, Ben, Aaron, I want you guys to use these guys in these episodes, and I want you guys to use these vehicles in these episodes. Make a story out of that. Now, that's kind of hard. So Hasbro will be like, we need Deep Six, Ricondo, Snowjob, Barbecue, and the Bridge Layer in this one episode. Come on, chop, chop. With that, they will have to construct an episode with a desert specialist, an Arctic specialist, a jungle specialist, and a firefighter. Not to mention putting in an excuse to involve a tank that can lay bridges. While these kind of notes from management could be seen as creatively stifling and let's face it, kind of crazy, it instead gave the show a feel that anything could happen anywhere at any time. Now, did you guys know that there was a plot in G.I. Joe where Cobra Commander wanted to draw his face on the moon? I don't remember that, but I'm not surprised. It ranks right up there with uh, Megatron building a giant purple griffin in the Transformers cartoon around the same time. <laughs> there was actually another episode where Cobra Commander had a teleton to raise money to build a computer virus that would literally blow up the computers of intelligence agencies. Like, like it was just insane, like, the plot details that these guys had to go through, man. So, like... If there's any reason to watch G.I. Joe in the cartoons nowadays, it's just for, like, the insanity of, like, where the plots would take you. And, you know, just to watch, like, the vehicles and just to watch, like, the different characters. Um, And, again, I haven't watched every episode of G.I. Joe. But, like, for those of you listening, if you're going to watch this show, you're going to watch it for the craziness that's involved. Now, let's get into, like some things about G.I. Joe. So, does anybody know why Cobra Commander wears a mask? Well, he was disfigured, but then and the disfigurement story depends on you know, if you're reading the comic book or, you know, the the cartoon or later on in the IDW publishings, like it's it's interesting, but his face was somehow disfigured. Yes, yes. And yeah, you know, you know what, Aaron, you're right. Like I read something that his face was disfigured from a lab accident. And I guess he ended up having like eight eyes or something like that. And he wears a mask. So I don't know. Ben, have you heard that? Uh, I, I knew it was because his face is disfigured, but I don't remember the story. Um, and, so, and again, like comparing it to other series of the time, Skeletor is the same deal. And they didn't cover it in the original cartoon, but the reason he's got a skull for a face is disfigurement. But I think yeah, the, I think Aaron's right that it varies depending on which continuity you're talking about yeah i think that they um they explained it in the movie you know in the movie they kind of you know showed how this spore you know burst open and you know scarred him for life and that's why he had to wear the mask and then they kind of hinted at it i think it was in one of the few first few episodes how like you know he you know he was eating or something and destro came in and said like oh you know look at your face and he's like, yeah, it takes a, it takes a, you have to have a stomach to look at my face or something like that. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting and they never showed his face, but one of the, one of the, um, interesting kind of like later on, it's not in the 1980s, but the, I was reading, I guess there was a, uh, IDW publishing or something like that. Uh, it was a comic and I was a mashup between Transformers and GI Joe and it was uh, there was a laser blast that ended up hitting Cobra Commander in the face from a Transformer, and that's how he had to wear the mask. What? 
Yeah, that, that is awesome. Pretty, yeah, it was pretty interesting. But it, it's there's the different you know timelines and the different publishings of how Cobra Commander has to wear the mask. Yeah, could probably do a whole episode on GI Joe Transformers crossovers because that's happened like a million times. Oh, we got okay. Yeah, that's another episode. <laughs> that is definitely another episode because I would love to hear about that. You know what's funny about Cobra is that these guys are always retreating, and you know, like I was watching this YouTube video of like compilations of Cobra always retreating. Cobra retreat. And the one thing I found funny is that for an evil world organization bent on world domination, they really don't put too much effort into it. <laughs> like, I, these guys are just always retreating. And Destro, to me, seems like the only badass villain on the show. But he also retreats when it gets bad. So to me, if they were to put all their efforts into world domination, they would actually make it happen. They wouldn't even have a problem, Cobra. I'm going to throw this out there. I think the whole thing is a giant money laundering scheme for a bunch of uh, shady weapons manufacturers like Destro. Because, like, think about who's profiting off of this. Destro's running away because he already got his cash. You know, that Cobra's buying all their weapons and lasers and tanks and stuff from Destro. And then G.I. Joe is having to buy all this special equipment and weapons and tanks and bridge layers. So somebody's making a, a sweet bank off of this whole thing. It seems awful suspicious, especially considering nobody ever dies. <laughs> like they'd run out of skilled pilots if every rattler that got shot down took its pilot with it. But the pilots always escape. You just got to buy another, you know, call up Northrop Grumman and order another uh, dozen rattlers. <laughs> There's a big government military conspiracy going on here on G.I. Joe. <laughs> oh, it's a racket. I'm telling you. This goes really deep, man. This goes really deep. Um, you know what else was good about the G.I. Joe cartoon guys was the PSAs. Those yeah, PSAs. Well, like I said, I, I think the Fensler Films redubs of those PSAs beat the original thing hands down. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with those. Oh... <laughs> oh man yeah so each psa ended with one of the trouble kids spouting now i know and what else knowing I is half the battle that's right the and other it's... half is red lasers and blue lasers <laughs> so here's some of the psas for those listening that if you've never seen a gi joe psa here are just some of them real quick running away isn't the answer Featuring Shipwreck. Don't Do What a Stranger Says. Featuring Wild Bill. How to Thread Water. Featuring Torpedo. And What to Do If You Catch on Fire. Featuring Spirit. So, for the audience listening, if you have not seen a G.I. Joe PSA, or, as a matter of fact, if you haven't seen 80, any 80s cartoon PSA, please, like, just go on YouTube and watch some of these PSAs. Because as kids growing up from the in the 80s or us kids growing up in the 90s, man, that was just a way of teaching us a lesson while watching cartoons and selling us toys. So we were getting brainwashed to buy toys and also giving us a life lesson and all there's, this stuff. There's actually um, information out there that implies that the whole PSA thing started with uh, sort of an, a corporate atonement for uh, guilt of using cartoons to sell kids toys. 
And I mean, if you look at the first one of those cartoons that sold toys, which was He-Man, um, that whole show was kind of a PSA. But they, they did it in a very uh, positive light. And I think some of the ones that came after were like, oh, maybe we should do that too so we don't seem too, uh, you know, just raw greed of like, oh, look at how cool these toys are. You should get your mom to buy them for you. And yeah. uh, a lot of a lot of '80s shows had that, and it mostly was the toy shows. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's it's so funny, man. And, and the funny thing about that is, like, now us as like mid thirties, early forties, you know, like guys our ages, like, you know, you really don't see like toy commercials anymore. There's really no toy commercials. There's really no um psas or like like even if i mean let's be honest when was the last time you guys saw an actual toy commercial on tv uh, i watch a I lot of had, oh. <laughs> <laughs> i have a i have a five-year-old son uh, there's a lot on nickelodeon but <laughs> it's all it's all like pj masks or you know stuff like that you know but they, they're still out there but they're i don't think they're as prevalent as they were in the 80s because I, I think, Steve, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It was like, you know, the, the 80s was just a, a, a different time. And, you know, you had all this competition. So the, you had all these competing, you know, uh, factions of like, OK, who can sell the best toy? Now I feel like there's, you know, ver- there's a couple, you know, you still have the big names, but there's not a lot of competition, you know, um, you know, because everything's like, I guess the competition is between Target and Walmart on who's going to get rights to the exclusive. It's not competition to, you know, oh, well, who can sell the most uh, PJ Masks action figures versus the most, uh, you know, uh, Paw Patrol action figures. It's just it's a different time. I think, too, that the the media has shifted to the point where um, video games and blockbuster movies do a lot of advertising for the sorts of action figure toys that we might consider modern equivalents of the the toy lines from the 80s that we love so you know you you go out and you play minecraft or you play you know fortnite or whatever halo and then that is what inspires you to go and be like oh here's you know uh minecraft action figure set you know so i can kind of you know reenact or have like a little display of my base in the video game and then also with the movie industry kind of taking over the toy business in the 90s, um, you know, a lot of action figures are kind of just an afterthought of the movie's popularity. And so this is where you get your, you know, your tremendous amounts of Star Wars action figures being sold right up until today in a time when kids aren't as big into action figures or, you know, Marvel Legends or, even Transformers to some extent, a lot of the times the the big film is what does the advertising instead of having to go through the effort of writing, you know, 96 episodes of a cartoon, why not just have one movie where you can make a few hundred million dollars all at once and then use it to sell toys on top of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a way, you know, it, it's funny, you, you and... uh. Aaron both have had uh, good uh, points there, man. And and I think, like, the only... What are the only toy companies left? Hasbro? Hasbro and Mattel. Uh, Playmates is still around, but, I mean, 
I don't know what uh, properties they have other than, you know, the ongoing Ninja Turtles toy lines. Yeah, because I think it's just Hasbro, Mattel, Playmates. Is Kenner? Is Kenner still around? No, Kenner got bought in the, the early 90s by Hasbro. Um, most of the brands from the 80s that you're familiar with, one way or another, are owned by Hasbro. I mean, y y there's a lot of the stuff you wouldn't even think of, and it's like, oh, yeah, but this company bought that company, and then Hasbro bought that company. So that Hasbro kind of wound up with all of this stuff. Um, with the exception of like Motu is still Mattel, uh, Ninja Turtles is still Playmates, and that's kind of it. Yeah, I think one of the the newer ones that kind of came into the picture, and the only reason I know this is because of my son, um, Spin Master. Spin Master Entertainment produces a lot of like the newer like kids toys like Paw Patrol and stuff like that. Yeah, and there's still like um, Jack's Pacific which is uh, some of the guys that were involved with LJN in the 80s that made video games and toys, um, most famously uh, Thundercats. Um, that's kind of just a reincarnation. Um, and they, they don't have, like, a bunch of big ongoing things. They mostly, like, do licenses for, like, one short run of figures. Like, I know they've done uh, Sonic action figures. I know they've done, like... Um, Mario and Nintendo property action figures. Oh wow, yeah, I, I I didn't know that. Wow, so man, it's it's in a way it's kind of sad, you know, because I miss those days. But uh, you know, as they say, life goes on, things always progress. But since we're talking about toys, and before we get into the toy line, which is going to be a chunk of the show, um, Aaron, what was that thing that you read about Cobra Commander? Just something about like his storyline was dark. Yeah, I was I was looking into origin stories because, like I said, I remember I remember, you know, bits and pieces here from my childhood. And like I said, the movie is near and dear to my heart. But I was just looking at origin stories. And um, so going back on what you said, the comic books were kind of the first thing to be produced. And so that's kind of where I started. And um, it was interesting before I get into the origin story, there's just this other little tidbit that I thought was interesting. I guess there were certain restrictions with putting it out toy commercials, you know, so the toy commercials had to show kids playing with the toys. They had to show, um, you know, the vehicles, they had to show the articulation. They had to show there were so many restrictions based off of um, the toy commercials that were being put out. So Marvel actually put out a comic book commercial that that, that was the first way that advertised the cartoons and it was a comic book commercial it wasn't even a toy commercial and um they, they there was no restrictions on advertising a comic book and so they basically just put 30 seconds of just action you know adventure whatever you know basically like a 30 second clip of the show and then they said okay or or, or of a cartoon that promoted the comic book and that was kind of the lead into the cartoon so i thought that was uh interesting because i didn't realize that all these you know when you go back and you watch those those in any toy cartoon from the 80s you you had to see kids playing with the toys and it had to show the features and i didn't know there was that many restrictions that were put on it so i thought that was interesting but um oh. yeah getting into the uh the uh, cobra commander backstory so you don't you don't know his name you don't know his his uh his childhood but he had a brother and his brother dan went to v uh went to vietnam 
came back. Um, he uh, he had what we now call PTSD, and it, he he um, he had self destructive behavior, which I, I I'm not sure if it said it in the comic book or not, but he was he was an alcoholic, and he got ended up getting into a car accident. And uh, he ended up dying. But the one survivor of the car accident ended up to be, you know, snake eyes. And so the the Cobra commander, the brother of, of the guy that died in the car accident, tracked him all the way to Japan where he and I know I'm going to I'm going to massacre this. But the I think it's the Arashikagi clan. So he ended up tracking him there and then kind of hired Zartan. And that was like the beginning story. But to have something that dark of like, you know, even talking about those issues um, you know, talking about PTSD and like alcoholism and then to have like that cause of death and to even that be like in the storyline um, for a, you know, to advertise a kid's comic book was just it was really interesting that it was that dark that quick of like how the Cobra Commander, this is why he's evil is because of this. Wow, I didn't even know that. That is dark. <laughs> that is very I mean, like, to talk about alcoholism and PTSD and death and, you know, to put that in a comic book and, like, give it to kids. But, like, you know, it's funny because we grew up in an era, all three of us, where we watched violent films like RoboCop. And they had a cartoon show. They had a toy line. Aliens. They had a movie. They had a toy line. And, you know, like, it, it's it's weird that back then it was okay. Yeah, the movies yeah. rated R. Yeah, it's rated R. Yeah, it's not for kids. But you know what? We're going to put a cartoon show or we're going to sell these toys. But well, nowadays, you can't even do that. Yeah, kind of an offshoot, too. You, as soon as you said that, it made me think. So I was watching, um, and this is a total offshoot, but you're talking about movies. Uh, Conan, right? The original Conan the Barbarian. Yep. That was a PG movie. Now, I'm watching this thing. <laughs> And, and there's there's nudity. There's, you know, people getting their heads chopped off, all this other stuff. And I said, holy cow, like when when did the, the PG-13 era come out? Because like I, if, 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 if they were like, oh, this is a parental guidance movie, you know, like, oh, yeah, bring your kids, whatever. This is for the kids, you know, like that was a freaking crazy movie being rated PG. But the first rated PG movie was the, or PG-13 movie was the sequel to Conan because parents were like up in arms over like, how is this considered parental guidance with all this stuff? And you're right. It was a different era. Wow. I, I haven't seen Conan in a while, man, but. Man, it's 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 just fascinating. I honestly, guys, I think that us three we grew up in a a golden era. I call it, you know, and it's it's cool that we collect toys, um, because collecting toys like and just look, just me right now sitting here talking to you guys, looking at my shelf of all these eighties, nineties toys. It's it just brings back happiness, you know, and it just reminds me of like a childhood. And speaking of childhood, we're gonna get into these toys, and. Man, I said this before. I've seen collectors show their G.I. Joe collection from like 83 to 94, 95 in their rooms. And I said this to uh, Ben and Jake, and it looked like a Vietnam War memorial on people's walls. It's just like all these dead soldiers just like hanging on the wall. But um, Ben, since you know more about the toy, about the toy line, can you explain to everybody like, Pretty much like how this toy line started or who was the company behind it and the characters and all that. 
Yeah, uh, I, I, I can get into that. Um, I want to throw out one last note on the cartoon. Um, the character, you mentioned the character Shipwreck. Yes. Um, one of the reasons to watch the cartoon, and it's you got to get way into it before you start seeing this stuff, is Shipwreck was secretly kind of one of the main characters. And some of the episodes that... Um, featured shipwreck prominently are some of the best episodes of the show but you will feel so bad for this poor guy um so there's there's just a handful of episodes that are like centered around shipwreck and it always is super tragic and disturbing and when when Sandra and I watched these episodes together we were like this is not appropriate like I'm gonna have nightmares um (laughs) One of them is, uh, it's called Memories of Mara, uh, and Shipwreck falls in love with an escaped Cobra agent named Mara, and Cobra d- winds up putting her through this program where they're trying to, like, genetically re-engineer people to be amphibious so that they can have, like, you know, people that can breathe underwater and on land so they don't need wetsuits and all this other stuff. Um, but she escapes... And what winds up happening is the uh, procedure that they do to this woman that Shipwreck has fallen in love with makes her only able to breathe in water. And that's just it. That's it. She can only breathe in water. And so now Shipwreck, you know, has to go on with his life and leave her behind. Um, And then the worst one is a two-parter called There's No Place Like Springfield. And uh, Shipwreck is in, like, his hometown, or a place that's supposed to remind him of his hometown. Um, But it's, the inhabitants are all synthoids. They're not real people. And the whole thing is just, like, it's kind of like uh, an MK Ultra like, mind control thing that they're testing on him. Um, And it's a little bit... uh, What's the analogy I'm looking for here? It's like just gaslighting this poor guy for two a two-part episode. And I don't even know how like he stayed on the G.I. Joe team after that because I was deeply scarred just watching it. Um, it's, it's something that would have been in like an actual rated R horror movie. You know, what they did to Shipwreck in the, these two episodes. Um, so if you want a, a more serious uh, and very dark... Uh, corner of the massive, you know, first run um, GI Joe cartoon. Check out the shipwreck episodes, but definitely prepare yourself on those because they're they're not easy to watch. It's not just you know red lasers and blue lasers for those those few episodes. Um, Jesus, I'm gonna I'm gonna start uh, a, a drinking habit after watching these episodes. <laughs> yeah, I you know they say drinking like a sailor. Well, if if shipwreck. Uh, starts drinking as he is a sailor, I can definitely see why he's definitely justified in doing that. Um, Jeez, but, wow, uh, yeah, yeah. G.I. Joe, man, like, the storylines, like, that you and Aaron just spoke about, it's, like, hardcore adult-rated stuff, but it was aimed towards us back then. And, you know, half the stuff would just fly through our heads. And, you know, now as adults, like, watching it, you start picking up on these adult tones, like, Oh, 
look at that. I didn't even catch that as a kid. I'm just here to watch this cartoon because I thought it was cool. <laughs> wow, man, that's 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 pretty heavy, man. So yeah, let's get into the toy line because, like I said, guys, I just have one GI Joe in my collection. I don't have any vehicles or anything. Um, Ben, I don't know about you. Do you collect GI Joes? I do not, but we have tons of them coming and going through the shop all the time. So if I ever get in the mood, I've got plenty to plenty to inspect and and uh, you know have around. Um, I guess the fact that they don't turn into anything and you can't like take them apart and put them back together, that doesn't really fall into my purview. But uh, <laughs> there's. It's a huge toy line, and it is kind of intimately related with Transformers. So, as you guys know, G.I. Joe started out in the 1960s um, when it kind of sparked the whole action figure craze. In fact, Hasbro, when they when they bought the idea for G.I. Joe, they coined the term action figure because they didn't want parents or boys in the 1960s, which is, you know, still a very socially conservative time um, for families. They didn't want boys playing with dolls. But at the same time, you know, any kind of large humanoid figure with joints that you could change, you know, the clothing or accessories on, that was considered a doll. So they came up with the term action figure for that line. Um, And then Hasbro partnered with the Takara company in Japan, um, because, you know, this was post-World War II, there was a big American presence in Japan, including, you know, trade and and kind of a cultural uh, exchange that happened, you know, through, through our military occupation there. Um, so they partnered with Takara and gave them a license to produce a similar line, um, which they changed the, the heads to look more like anime characters you know, they kind of softened the facial features, gave them big, you know, really big eyes. And it was the heroic Americans versus the evil Nazis. Um, because obviously having the Americans fighting Japanese, you know, who were on the same side in World War II wouldn't have played too well. Um, but despite that, the toy line just didn't really go anywhere in Japan. There wasn't a lot of interest. Um, you know, it might be because there weren't any, like, Japanese characters that the the kids there could identify with because, it, like I said, it was all basically white guys. There was the Germans and there were the Americans, and they were all portrayed, you know, as outsiders to Japan. Um, but Takara had the license to produce toys based on that design, and so they switched over to producing them in clear plastic with like uh, chrome cyborg parts inside. Um, and they realized that you could have parts swap off with the, uh, the kind of plug system that was used to construct the original G.I. Joes. But then in 1973, the first big oil crisis hit, um, and plastic is made out of oil, so the Japanese and, to some extent, the Americans decided that they wanted to downsize some of these toys to use less plastic. Um, and the Japanese came to the realization that, like, instead of making these 12 inches tall, we can make them about 4 inches tall. And then that way, if, you're, if you want to spend more money, you know, if, you, if your parents want to get you a bigger toy, you can have it be a vehicle instead. So now you can have, you know, trucks and tanks and jets and all these other big relative to the size of the figure vehicles. 
um, and that was called the Micronauts series in Japan, and they were still clear plastic, um, but they arrived at a new design where you have like a rubber O-ring that holds the body and the legs together, and it kind of squeezes the hip piece in the middle, and this the um, tension on the O-ring means that you can now pose the figure because it, it's, you know, holding the parts together with enough friction that they hold poses. Um, and so they produced these things from 74 up through uh, into the 1980s. Um, and because Hasbro and Takara were still partnered, Hasbro looked to that design and they were like, oh, well, yeah, these, for a four-inch tall figure, these things are great. You know, you got you can move the waist and the legs and the knees and the arms and the elbows. And so they wanted to reintroduce G.I. Joe because action figures were kind of coming back in a big way after the success of um, Star, Star Wars figures by Kenner and Mattel had He-Man. And so they're like, well, let's get back into it. People already know the name G.I. Joe, so we'll do that. And they based their figures on the Micronauts figures that were developed from the 12-inch Joe figures. So it kind of went back and forth and back and forth. And eventually, this also spun off into Transformers, but that's a separate story. Um, so the first series was all uh, fairly, you know, drab, uh, green and tan and brown uh, tones. And they had, I think, about 12 action figures and a handful of vehicles, most of which were based on real tanks and planes. Um, and then the second year, they introduced the biceps swivel or swivel arm battle grip um, and they reissued all the first year figures upgraded with the battle grip and also introduced a bunch of new characters and more vehicles and uh, it just kept growing and growing through the 80s um, until you know kind of a fever pitch by the mid 80s with just tons of stuff coming out um, famously in 1985 they had a seven-foot-long coffee table-sized aircraft carrier called the USS Flag, um, which was sold at or below cost just to have kind of uh, something super catchy um, on the shelves to be impressive to parents or whatever. Um, I think it was $100 new in 1985, if I'm not mistaken. And they, they basically were, like, not making any money on it, but it would get you in the store, it gets you buying their other products, it would get you buying, you know, tons of figures, it would get you buying the jets to put on it, um, so they figured it was a worthwhile endeavor. And then, uh, you know, every every year, every other year, they'd have like another kind of crown piece playset or some huge vehicle. Um, I know before the, sh the, the show, uh, Aaron mentioned the killer whale, and um, was it the Crusader or the Avenger? Uh, or Defiant space shuttle that you had, Aaron? I, I had I had the Crusader. Um, the Defiant was like the whole like mobile platform, and <laughs> it came with like all the accoutrements, and it was that thing was that. I mean, that's that's probably one of the coolest playsets. The Defiant, you know, second to the flag. Um, but yeah, no, I had the Crusader, which was just the uh, the 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 one spaceship. Well, it's two spaceships, but like you had the large spaceship, and then the uh, the, the the shuttle but i think the cool part was you had the you know astronaut with the uh 
with a lifeline and the lifeline was like this real hard, but moldable plastic that you can like hook them up to. And it, it, it almost kind of gave the, 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 you know, you using the imagination perception that he was floating in space. That's yeah. Awesome. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and one of the other clever things that GI Joe did, and they kind of pioneered this and it was, it was really one of the sources of success overall. The because of course any successful line is followed by you know 300 knockoffs like uh, Lenard's The Core, uh, Remco's I think it was called American Fighter or something generic like that. There were tons of them, but GI Joe introduced this concept of having each character have a bio, um, and on the back of the the card they had the file card. And it kind of had the shape of like a, the top of a manila envelope and it would tell their, their code name and their quote real name. And it would, you know, give them like a military serial number and a rank and which weapons they were skilled with. And then it would tell like their kind of like you were reading through the file of your soldiers. It's like, okay, here's where this guy came from. And then the end would be like a quote of somebody else on the team talking about the guy that you were buying. Um, and that was uh, very popular, and a lot of people actually took the time to cut those out and save them, um, which obviously means that it was a big draw to, to kids to have, you know, each character is basically a person or, a, you know, a real character and not just some generic dude, which you have no starting point as to, you know, what his weapons are, or why he's dressed this way. It was all there in the file card. And the other innovation... I don't know if this is an innovation, but um, all the G.I. Joe vehicles were basically lots of assembly required. Um, basically, you would get the parts on sprues or runners, like a model kit, and you had to cut it all apart and snap it together in the order that the instructions showed you. Mm. And then, you know, decorate it with stickers. Um, very seldom were the vehicles decorated with paint um, because... If it was just plain plastic molded and then tossed in a box with a sticker sheet and an instructions sheet, um, they actually made a lot of the vehicles in the USA at a time when everything else was being uh, overseas um, for production because you don't need an assembly line. You just mold the pieces, stick them in a box. Um, and that also kept the costs very low relative to other toy lines. Um, you know, for $10 in 1985, you'd get, uh, you know, a relatively small transformer, like maybe one of the Autobot cars, like, you know, Blue Streak or Red Alert or Sideswipe would be 10 bucks. But 10 bucks in G.I. Joe would get you like a decently large tank or truck because there was no assembly in the factory. And so they could just mold it cheaply in the United States throw it in a cardboard box and ship it that way. Um, and so a lot of the G.I. Joe vehicles, if you go back in like old Sears, you know, Christmas wish book catalogs, a lot of those vehicles were shockingly cheap. And so for the flag to be $100 and still lose money, you know, you know they really were putting their, their effort into that. And of course the thing weighs 50 pounds, but... Um, that that kind of led to proliferation of uh, G.I. Joe vehicles, more so than a lot of other toy lines where anything above the $30 mark, you don't see much 
nowadays because not many of them sold in the 80s when $30 was, you know, the equivalent of a pretty nice Christmas present in today's money. Um, so that kind of allowed kids to really build an army and really get into the vehicle side of it too because you could afford more than just a few dudes with guns and so that made it a lot more exciting to collect um yeah you know i gotta say something about that man because you mentioned earlier ben that the uss flag when it came out was a hundred dollars originally um and it's funny that like you know sometimes as toy hunters and toy collectors we Sometimes I, I go on like um, on Google and I'm like, let me see how much this toy actually cost in the 80s. And then you look back and you're like, oh, 100. But then like the flag now, if it's in mint condition, it can go for upwards of $1,000 or more. Oh, so, easy. It doesn't have to be mint to get that. It just has to be relatively complete. Yeah. And, 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 and it's just crazy how like. You know, back then, $100, yeah, back then in the 80s, $100 was a lot of money. But, the, like, you look at it now, and you're like, man, I wish that was $100 right <laughs> I wish it was $100 right now to get the USS flag, so. Well, right now, though, if you look at um, a lot of the same vehicles that have been reissued, or even new vehicles from, from more recent G.I. Joe lines, um, you know, I don't think there's anything really on store shelves right now other than the, the online exclusives that we were talking about uh, earlier tonight. Um, but all of that stuff is pre-assembled. And so now, you know, for so let's say that, you know, $100 for the flag in 1985 is like $200 today. So why can't you get something that big and impressive for $200 today? One is the real cost would actually be higher because Hasbro has said that, you know, they didn't make any money on the flag. It was, um, in the car industry, they call it a loss leader. You take a loss in order to get your name out there and get people in the door. Um, and two is the assembly. You know, if you're having it assembled, it's got to be, you know, basically it's got to be done overseas because there's no way they're going to pay, you know, U.S. wages to assemble a, a $20, $30 toy. And then you're paying shipping. I mean, if you've if you've ever had to actually ship a USS flag through, you know, from one place to another, you know, to a collector or whatever, the shipping alone is probably a hundred, two hundred dollars easily. Now, granted, if you're doing it at like a big, huge corporate freight rate, that's a different story. But still, that's that's not an insignificant cost to truck, or I should say, boat, you know a bunch of USS flags across the Pacific Ocean. So, yeah, the, the costs are way higher. And I think it's unfortunate because I think, um, and I, I've kind of seen this sometimes through buying and selling G.I. Joes, I think the idea of kind of building your own G.I. Joe vehicle and taking the time to put all the stickers on, um, and I've, I've gotten a couple collections where somebody had, like, kind of lovingly detail-painted. You know, they have, like, a molded-in, like, shovel strapped to the side of the tank, and some kids would actually take the time to, you know, paint the shovel handle brown and paint the shovel blade silver and then put the, you know, the strap holding it on as black. Um, wow. And I think there was kind of a craft as aspect to it that has since been lost. Um, but that's just, you know, the way the American toy culture has gone is that, you know, we don't... We don't want to be troubled with assembling and, 
you know, cutting parts off and applying stickers as much as, as was acceptable in the 80s. Yeah, I noticed that, man. Now when you buy toys, you're not really assembling things or that'll come with stickers. And it, it's funny that you that you hit on that. And honestly, I didn't, didn't even know that the G.I. Joe vehicles came like that, that you actually had to put them, uh, put them, put them together. I, I didn't even know that. And again, that's because as a kid, uh, I never really collected G.I. Joe. And all I collected was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Every time I went to the store, hey, mom, get me a turtle. You know, and I never really was like, hey, I want to get this his tank or let me get Cobra Commander. So but that's that's something that I didn't know. And, you know, Ben, you mentioned that, you know, you don't really collect G.I. Joe's. You're more of a Transformer collector. But Aaron, like you collect G.I. Joe. But like, is there like a particular line of G.I. Joe that you collect or? Yeah. So, I mean. Now, my G.I. Joe collection is, I guess, a minimalist collection um, uh, because uh, I can't I, I think I told you this the other day. I can't buy everything because if I bought everything G.I. Joe, I, I don't think I'd have any room in my basement just because there's just there's so much stuff. But um, to me, the two things that kind of are like near and dear to me, one is Cobra. I think I touched, you know, on the last episode of Mask. Was that like, you know, um, I collected a lot of the Venom vehicles as a kid because I was always into the bad guys. So like um, Cobra vehicles, like the His tanks, like if you got His tanks, I want all the His tanks. I don't care if I got 50 His tanks. You know, I like I like army building when it comes to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, any of the any of the Cobra vehicles, um, you know, th- 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 those are near and dear to my heart. Um, one of the kind of oddball ones that um, stick out in my mind. I think because I played the video game so much as a kid, the um, the original GI Joe uh, NES game was the um, the Buzzbore, which is basically it's just like this one person vehicle that you know one guy sits in, but it's got like these spikes on the outside, and in the video game you had to shoot it and it was going all over the walls and on the on the ground and everything. But that one, I think I have two of those. I have two. I think I have two of each. His tank um, and anything Sergeant Slaughter. Um, I'm a big WWF WWE guy. Um, and, um, Sergeant Slaughter always kind of had this place near and dear to my heart because you could watch him on TV, um, you know, wrestling Hulk Hogan and all this stuff. And then he, he made the jump over to GI Joe and actually became like this real life, you know, embodiment of a person cartoon character and you ha- you know he was in a lot of the PSAs at the end or he might have a 30 second clip and I don't know for whatever reason Sergeant Slaughter just has this um, you know persona that kind of uh, you know goes across a lot of different genres and I had the pleasure of actually meeting him a few years ago and nicest guy I've ever met you know still got that chin you know still got that you know he's older but he's still he's still in good shape and yeah, um, my GI Joe collection is is a lot of the bad guys. You know, the Baroness, the the um, the Zartans, the Cobra Commanders. Um, obviously, got to just army build. Got to get as many Cobra officers as you can. But um, yeah, none of the none of the big play sets. But God, I would love to have a flag just sitting in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 would be awesome, man. And, and that that's awesome, Aaron. You know, because again, like. The only G.I. Joe I have is Sergeant Slaughter with the blue tank top on. Um, so, Ben, for for the audience listening right now, let's say 
somebody were to tell you, hey, I want to collect for G.I. Joe, I want to collect the first series, where does the first series start? From what year to what year does that end? So a lot of collectors consider, quote, the first series to be 1982, which was when they started the four-inch scale, to 1995, which was there, there was continuous production of four-inch scale. Uh, they call them O-ring Joes after the black rubber O-ring that holds their bodies together. Um, but that's such a sprawling series that a lot of people will decide to kind of pare it down. Um, for example, 1993 was when they introduced the Battle Corps, um, and it was basically uh, just shotgunning dozens of new figures out, most of which were just straight redecos of... Um, previous figures with like a, a big sprue of like five guns and three swords and a um, like a figure stand. Um, and so there's there's kind of a, a blurry line um, prior to that where they got away from the sort of quasi-realistic or at least sci-fi aesthetic into the 90s aesthetic, which was definitely like everybody has to have a huge missile launcher and like 30 rifles and five different swords and a stand because they couldn't stand on their own two feet carrying all this equipment. Um, so I guess I would, I would tend to put the break and say that battle core is almost a separate series um, because the packaging no longer bears the name a real American hero. It's it just says GI Joe Battle Corps, um, but then you've got all these other spin-off series along the way that you know some of them are really clearly part of the original line, like Tiger Force and Python Patrol and Slaughter's Marauders, where it's kind of like a subgroup of the original line. And then the Battle Corps '90s era stuff is a little more questionable because they don't say that it's real American hero. And then you've got uh, and so they ceased production in 95 and they had nothing for 96 and then in 97 they had the real American hero collection um, their term which was largely reissues of older figures with new paint um, and when I say older I'm talking about now the stuff that was solidly real American hero era and then at the end of that is the kind of the terminus of the O-ring era um, so Generally, I'd say people either are going to be collecting all O-Ring Joes, which includes the 90s stuff because they're, they're that same body construction, or they're going to pick a date, you know, after which the series doesn't interest them anymore. Um, usually that end date is between like 1988 and 1991 or two. Um, if they're going to kind of curtail their collection to quote the original stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I would say the official first series most clearly runs from 82 to 93, with 93 to 95 being possibly its own thing. Wow. It, that, it's, you know, like, I don't know which, and I want to hear from you guys, like, which toy line from the 80s maybe even 78 79 
is the most extensive toy line to collect for. Is it G.I. Joe? Transformers? Now, are you talking like brand everything that's ever been done on that name? Or are you talking about continuous production from the 70s or 80s? Yeah, like everything ever done for that brand. Like, is it Star Wars, G.I. Joe, Transformers? Probably Star Wars. Okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was, I was thinking Star Wars too, man. And like the original Star Wars series isn't that huge. It's definitely way smaller than GI Joe, especially considering it was produced over the course of almost ten years. They didn't wind up with that much, that many unique pieces. Um, but just think of all the Star Wars stuff that's ever been produced. You know, there's just mountains of it, and. If you're saying everything ever done, you know, Star Wars, you had all the micro machines, you got Star Wars Hot Wheels, you got Star Wars, you know, anything that has been produced by humans has a Star Wars <laughs> version for it somewhere. Um, and so that makes it extensive. What's that? I said, Spaceballs the flamethrower, Spaceballs the cushions. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Spaceballs was, that was intentionally making fun of the star wars merchandising you know because it was already that sprawling um but i think gi joe is one of the biggest toy series mm. from the 70s or 80s like if you're talking about like just transformers g1 versus just the original ninja turtles versus just the original motu i think gi joe is the biggest of those because it was so sprawling and it lasted you know depending on how you count uh, 12 to 15 years before they said, okay, we're stopping now and now we're doing something different. It's still GI Joe, but it's now this GI Joe or GI Joe extreme or whatever. Yeah. It's, 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 it's all, it's just amazing because like as a person that doesn't know a lot about Joe's me and Aaron, um, and, and we told you this, Ben, we go to this uh, freaking flea market that we go to every Sunday to buy toys and, you know, me and Aaron will be looking at toys on the table, and there'll be a bin just full of G.I. Joes. And I know the original guys, Cobra Commander, Scarlet, Duke, Snake Eyes. I can tell who those guys are. But, like, then you have, like, another guy come, and he's like, oh, my God, this is so-and-so, and this is so-and-so. And, look, this is so-and-so with the blue, with the blue pants and so-and-so with the brown pants. And I'm standing there with Aaron. I'm just like... Wow, some guys really know their stuff because I I couldn't even begin looking at a bin full of GI Joes who's who and who's what. Yeah, I think it I think it takes, you know, I think with anything, Steve, it just takes time. I mean, I, I think if you really sat down there and you looked at the websites, um, I, I will plug this website because I use it a lot. Um, yojo.com. Um, you know, that's probably one of the more extensive uh GI Joe websites. In, in regards to identifying Joe's Joe parts and, and vehicles and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, I was browsing that and um, you know, it's just, I think it's just, if you take the time, like you and I, you know, we know the turtles, we know the ghostbusters, you know, Thundercats. I mean, the only reason that we know those things is because, you know, we took the time to do it. And, but it's also, it, it holds a special place in our hearts because that was the toys that we collected. I think certain guys that collected GI Joes, they know the names because they had them as a kid, you know, um, you know, like one of the, one of the one guys that sticks out in my mind is, uh, you know, from GI Joe is Globulus just because, 
you know, that figure was just so prominent because a, it was the only Joe that was released that didn't have legs. It had the big long tail because it was the big, you know, snake guy from the movie. And, and B it was, it was just one of those figures that just was just kind of out of this world in, in the um, ideas. And, you know, I think it's just when you take the time to go, okay, yeah, this Joe goes with that. I think the, the, um, (laughs) <laughs> the uh the interesting part or, or not the interesting part but the um the kind of like hey you know your stuff is if you can look at a pile of of um of guns and and weapons and all that stuff like we talk about the dave at the flea market <laughs> then, and we passed this up steve last or two weeks ago you know because i bought i ended up getting a his tank from a guy two weeks ago That's and right. he had this like bucket of weapons and Dave's like, you didn't buy those weapons? And I said, Dave, I don't know G.I. Joe weapons. <laughs> and and he's like, well, there's like $100 in this bin, you know, of weapons. This one goes to this guy and this one goes to this guy. And I was like, and I think you and I both said, we need to learn more about G.I. Joe. <laughs> we um, did say, yeah, we did say that. <laughs> there, there was, there's a lot to learn. But I think if you take the time and you kind of sit there and go, okay, you know, this, this goes to that, or this goes to this. I think that's all it is, is, you know, kind of dedicating that time to educating yourself, but you're going to dedicate a lot of time educating yourself about GI Joe, just because there's so many parts, pieces, et cetera, because like, like, um, Ben said, you had to, uh, build it. So imagine the amount of pieces that came in a box for a vehicle, you know, that they could be missing or could be lost that some kid didn't put together. Yeah. Yeah, man. on that note with the vehicles. So, um Yojo is is kind of the preeminent site for identifying stuff, although I'm I'm unashamedly going to plug the fact that I'm currently building a GI Joe Real American Hero uh collector's guide on Transformerland. Um I just looked I have uh 2100 photos <laughs> that are either up or going up oh my um, God. <laughs> and entering all this stuff in the database. Now this, mind you, that, that 2,100 photos is only covering up through like 92 right now. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot. There is a lot. And the further you go into it, the more um, parts each figure has. You know, like 1982 Series 1, You've got, like, Scarlet. She comes with a crossbow. That's it. You know, most of these guys from 82, it's like, okay, you get your figure, you get a helmet, you get a backpack, you get a gun. That's it. And then by the time you get into, like, the 90s, or um, you'd mentioned about the uh, Street Fighter figures, um, those guys have, like, 10 accessories each, something like that, and they're all unique. Um, you know, it's, it might be like the same thing, but in a different color from somebody else. Um, and it's a lot harder to keep apart. Um, but getting to the vehicles, there's almost no way to thoroughly database, you know, in a searchable fashion, like, oh, I have a gray gun. What is it? Or I have a red missile. What is it? Because the vehicles being that you had to assemble them, you wind up with, all these bits and pieces. I mean, I'm not talking like wheels. I'm talking like little panels or like a a strut that goes inside to help a part move or something like that. And all of this stuff is just kind of smattered around out there in the wild. Um, 
And so there's stuff like, you know, steering wheels are usually one of the, the more valuable parts to get for an old vehicle because a lot of times you just plug it into the dash and if it gets unplugged and lost, well, now you're SOL. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot of radio antennas. Some of them are only an inch long, you know, so you have an inch long straight stick of plastic and your mom's like, what is this garbage? And so it's away. Um you know, you've got like the the little clips that hold the USS flag deck together that are about a quarter inch across. Um, but yeah, there's just so much random stuff. Um, kind of getting into a little more more personal, informal commentary here. I have a saying around our shop that there is no such thing as a complete GI Joe vehicle, because when <laughs> I when I prepare an update for GI Joe vehicles, you know, I, I have big bins of parts and I have them sorted by, you know, all the most common vehicles that we get. Like say I've got a gallon bag of parts for the Rattler. Um, and I'll go through and try and make sure that this Rattler that I'm about to sell has all the missiles. It's got all the wings. It's got all the engine covers, all the little guns, everything that goes with it. And then after the pictures are taken, like the inventory photographs, I will go to describe it, and I'm like, oh, my God. Things got a broken bomb tab on the bottom. I didn't even notice that. You know, and there's just endless amounts of swearing about there's, ah, shit, how did I forget to put the, the little, like, gun tip in the bag with this one, you know? <laughs> and so then I got to go back and be like, oh, do I have one of these? Can I, you know, Photoshop it in that it actually has the, the 11th missile, you know, that it's supposed to come with? Um, it's it's pretty infuriating, and some of the vehicles are defined by one tiny part. Like the USS Flag, famously, there's a part called the fantail railing, and basically at the back of the boat, um, there's a lower deck with a gun turret, and there's this little white uh, handrail that plugs in to keep the guy from falling off, you know, man overboard. And uh, an original fantail railing will run you about a hundred bucks. Just that little piece of railing. It's about three inches long. Um, Of course, a lot of this stuff has been reproduced because there's, you know, there's only so many originals to go around. And in an era when vintage toy collecting has become so widespread, the demand on a lot of these things is increasing drastically. Um, But the, the one that absolutely takes the cake is the 1985 Mauler main battle tank, which was a motorized tank. You know, it's got real rubber treads that go around. You put some C uh, uh, batteries in there, and there's like a lever on top, and you can make it forward and back and side to side. Um, the driver of the main battle tank, his name is Heavy Metal. And he looks like a typical like movie style tank driver, you know, with the the kind of leather cap with the headset built into it. Yeah. And there's a microphone boom. Um, you know, it's just this little curly cue of brown plastic, and it plugs into a hole in his his like earphone, and it's supposed to kind of wrap around his face to his mouth. And there's a bunch of GI Joe figures that have microphone booms like that that were removable. They're all lost. Every last one of them, you know, fight me. Um, But the Mauler main battle tank was motorized, which means it was pre-assembled. 
There was mm. not like the other ones where it was, you know, you snap the whole body mm. halves together. It was largely pre-assembled. There was some stuff that the user assembled, but, you know, they, they're not going to make you put the gears in there. They're not going to make you wire the battery terminals. So the main body of the tank is all pre-assembled, which means it was fairly expensive as G.I. Joe's go. It was one of the more expensive ones other than the huge stuff like the flag or the um, Defiant and Crusader or the Terror Drone. And so they didn't sell many of them. That's not a common vehicle to begin with. So now you've got this little tiny brown piece of junk microphone from a rare set and it just sticks in his face and it doesn't look like anything on its own that microphone increases the value of a set by about four hundred dollars wow for that wow. little fucking microphone <laughs> wow so you got you got a, a mauler that's got all the antennas all the it's got like a spare wheel uh it's got like his he's got a submachine gun that's unique to him and it's got like a rifle sling on the submachine gun of course the rifle sling always breaks off but you got everything there other than the microphone you're looking at about 250 bucks for a nice one but as soon as that microphone is in the picture you're talking 650 700 for the set or you know 500 for just the driver with the microphone and the gun jesus just 500 for the driver man it's like <laughs> insane here's here's something else a lot of joe collectors don't do the vehicles really they're like the vehicles are too big and i agree like, the G.I. Joe vehicles are one of the biggest space hogs at Transformerland's shop. Like, they just, there's so many of them because they were cheap, and they're all so big relative to a Transformer or even a He-Man vehicle. You know, the biggest He-Man vehicles, a medium G.I. Joe vehicle. You know, never mind, you know, these two-and-a-half-foot-long fighter jets and, you know, seven-foot-long aircraft carriers and all this stuff. Um... Yes, yeah, so a lot of people will just do the figures because they're compact. Once you're talking figures only, you can fit, you know, a hundred of them on a small shelf. So there's a huge demand for just the vehicle drivers. Um, and a lot of the vehicle drivers were actually sold by themselves as like a mail-away thing. Um, but Heavy Metal, the mail-away version of him, didn't come with the microphone. Wow. So the, the only way to get the microphone in the 80s was to get the whole tank. My mind is blown as I'm listening to you, Ben, because, again, like, I don't know much about G.I. Joe, but just listening to how much that figure will go for with everything included is just insane. So let me ask you this, Ben. Let's say me and Aaron, right, and, and this is for the audience listening. Let's say we're just getting into G.I. Joe and what prices for a figure that is not complete what's the most that a person will pay for a loose figure not with the weapons not with anything so a loose figure in good condition and you know i never include whether the o-ring is still tight or not because you can get o-rings for like i don't know a hundred of them for five dollars and it's just a single screw to unscrew and put a new o-ring in there so i don't even worry about that but like say a loose figure unbroken thumbs and good paint 
and looks decent. Um, you know, it, it obviously depends on the character heavily. Um, right now, that stuff, because there's so many people coming into G.I. Joe collecting, loose, stripped-down figures are actually worth a few bucks each at least. Um, you know, and you're going to have a range. So some of the early guys from 1982, um, they were more fragile. The design was more fragile than the, the stuff from a couple years later. So if you have a fully unbroken, like a straight arm snake eyes or a straight arm zap with no parts, you're talking 50 bucks. Um, but if you, if you're into like less popular guys from like 1984 or five, you know, most of those I would expect you'd be able to pick up for, you know, two to five bucks with no parts. And then with parts, you know, your, your run-of-the-mill undesirable figures or figures who just came with one big part that never got lost. Um, like Monkey Wrench comes to mind. He just has, like, this big harpoon gun. And it's like, you can't miss it. There's nothing really that's going to go wrong there. Um, so complete, he's worth, you know, 10, 12 bucks. And then on the opposite extreme, you've got, you know, rare exclusive figures like mail-away guys. Um, or the Listen and Fun Tripwire, which was like this unique figure that came with a, one of those book-on-tape packs. Mm. Um, those figures, you can talk, you know, for loose, complete, no, you know, no packaging or anything, those you can talk, you know, two, three hundred dollars for some of them. Um, but most figures, complete with all their parts, run 50 bucks or under. You know, the, the guys that are over 50 bucks are kind of an exception. Um, and wow. a lot of times there's, you know, a two or threefold price difference based on one part. You know, like I said, with heavy metal, he's kind of the extreme. But like, uh, let's see, who's, a, who's another one that's got some stupid tiny part that always gets lost? And those um, those Joe parts are so small too. They're just tiny. Like yeah, the microphones are especially bad. Uh, wow! Like I can't even imagine like what you're going through in the shop just trying to get these parts, <laughs> and I can't even fathom. Like it's, I, it's infuriating. Uh, but for example, like a like a Cobra Eels. He was like the standard Cobra diver. He's he's kind of your army builder. Um, he's just a guy in a gray wetsuit with a red chests you know with the cobra logo um his backpack is everywhere like every toy collection has a cobra eels backpack in it it's just a thing once you see it you won't stop seeing it um and so if he's got his backpack and his flippers and his gun you're talking maybe 15 bucks if you have the the little rubber breather hose that goes from his mask to his backpack you're talking twice that um, and that happens a lot. Where if the if the smallest part is missing, it's half the value of the figure. You know, wow. so if if somebody's just getting into it and you're okay with everything not being absolutely a hundred percent complete, you know, if if a part is small enough that you're like, it's not going to bother me that that's not there, definitely go for the incomplete ones because it will save you tons of money for your other hobbies. Um, you know, like some of these guys had a, like a little folding bipod that clipped on their rifle 
and some of these parts are, you know, eighths of an inch, and it's just like this little bipod that flips down from the barrel. And of course, that always, you know, you, you kid finds out, oh, you can take this off. I'll take it off and you know put it away for now. Well, now it's gone forever. So yeah. you're talking with no bipod, ten bucks. With the bipod, fifty bucks. So there's a yeah. lot of that that goes on. Yeah, I gotta say, I uh, I started and and I and a lot of you're spot on with what you're saying. And uh, I collect, you know, GI Joes, and I'll buy them here and there, and I'll get them loose, and you know, I just make sure that they don't have any, un, you know, their both their thumbs are there, and their crotch is not broken, yeah. because those are the the most common, you know, pieces. And uh, another kind of tidbit is, you know take a, you know, flip the GI Joe over and, uh, make sure that the screws are not rusted because if you do have to replace the O-ring, um, you know, you want to make sure that those screws aren't rusted so you can at least get into the figure. But talking about those small parts and pieces is that I was, um, I'm trying to complete a Zartan, <laughs> which is probably one of the worst figures to try to complete because oh, yeah. he, he came, he came with, you know, the little mask it's a little face mask in a box that you can, you know, change the look of his face. He came with clip on um, uh, uh, armor that that could change in the sunlight. And then he came with the swamp skier that folded up into this little, you know, box, uh, you know, that he could tow behind him. And that swamp skier is probably, I don't know, 20 or so parts in itself. So I got a couple parts of the swamp skier and I'm missing all the parts to him. But yeah, I mean, like just talking about one figure that that you know you know i'd say a zartan that has maybe some parts of the swamp skier you're looking at maybe 15 dollars. but then if you have a complete zartan with everything because he actually came in a vehicle box because he had so many accessories and that was the first way that you could get zartan um was uh you know probably i think going right for a complete zartan with everything is like 110 bucks or something like that now oh 150 Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Well, here's the dirty secret. Zartan's not even rare because right. like Aaron said he was in a vehicle box, but like I said, vehicles are cheap. I bet you that thing costs $6 new. You know, right. your average carded figure's probably 3 bucks. Well, the Swamp Skier's not that big. It's just like this little it's like the size of a, a snow sled, you know. Right. But because the the Swamp Skier's made out of 20 parts, and all those parts are small and they break when you take them, you know, put them together, take them apart, put them together, take them apart. Well, pretty soon all your clip tabs are gone. And then he's got those leg pads. So you, you hit the nail on the head. It's just the figure with some parts, 15 bucks, 100 percent, 150 bucks. And that's that is the story of G.I. Joe's condensed into one thing. Yeah. And uh, getting back to what you said, I think one thing that's unique about G.I. Joe's is that you can service them. Um, you know, if the thumbs aren't broke, you know, from jamming the gun in and out of their hand a million times, and the crotch isn't broke, which was just kind of some figures it was particularly thin, like they, they didn't have much gap between the thighs, and so the plastic there is like super thin, and if you move their legs just wrong, it'll pop off, or like maybe the plastic that that figure is made out of kind of deteriorated over time. You know, I've had them pop just picking a figure up and it'll snap off. Um, most of them don't do that, thankfully, but it's, it's a thing. If their legs have completely fallen off, if the screw is rusty, but you can get it out 
all of that stuff you can just go buy. Like there's there's three screws on each figure. One goes into the back, one goes into the inside of each thigh, and it sandwiches over this metal like clothing hanger. It's like a, a hook with a bar and then the legs go on the ends of the bar. All of that hardware, the screws, the rubber O-ring, the leg bar, all of that stuff you can just buy. So as long as you can get it apart, like Aaron said, if it's not so rusty where that screw is going to strip out the minute you put a screwdriver to it, I would recommend getting a really good screwdriver, you know, something that's really going to bite into every screw and not something that's a little dull where if it slips, you're going to strip your screws out. Get a good screwdriver and you can just buy those parts like by the hundreds and fix them up as much as you want, as long as the plastic itself isn't broke. Um, and that's something that's fairly unique um, for 80s toys. You know, most of them, once something's broke, it's broke. Or once something's worn out, it's worn out. I know um, Matt and I have lamented at Transformerland, we wish that somebody would reproduce the rubber tires for the Autobots because they're all dried out and crackly and you know you have this perfect figure and the tires got a million cracks in it well, what do you do you're stuck you know unless you have another figure that happens to have tires that survived 30 years in good condition you're stuck but with yeah. gi joe's you can actually patch them up you know or it's easy to swap parts like if you've got oh i picked up a zap with a broken left thumb but i've got a zap with a broken right thumb you pop that screw out there swap the arms around away you go yeah so I looked up I looked up the original price of the chameleon, which was the uh, um, the swamp skier, and it it was uh, four dollars and twenty cents. Wow, four dollars and twenty cents. That was the original price. Original price was Zartan with all those parts and uh, in the box, four dollars and twenty cents. Can and we just now we, four dollars and twenty cents would get you his backpack, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable, man. So we're getting into the hour and twenty-five minute mark of just talking GI Joe. Um, so one thing that we learned today, I mean, we went over the cartoon series, Ben hit up on Ben, you hit up on like on all the points, like the history, um, you know, how it started. Uh, for collectors that want to get into it, the price points, all the vehicles. Um, so a question that I want to ask you and Aaron, because uh, this has been happening a lot in the toy collecting community, especially during the vintage community, is that you know, we all know there's a lot of these um, other independent toy lines coming out with re-releases of retro toys. So, you know, like Hasbro, uh, they just re-released -re the Kenner Real Ghostbusters uh, vintage toy line and collectors that collect the vintage toy line are like, well, you know, like if you're collecting the re-release, then you're not a true collector because that's not like the real vintage line. But then like you had collectors collecting the re-release vintage real Ghostbusters because they needed the proton packs for their vintage figures. But then they found out that the proton packs that came with the with the re-releases did not fit. The, the original vintage toy line. So, um, you know, there's this whole thing now in the vintage toy line community where, like, now you have the G.I. Joe retro re-release line, the He-Man retro re-release line, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has done it so many times with the four turtles being re-released. And, Ben, you talked about the the guy who collected the sound waves, like the many re-releases of sound waves. So what I want to ask you guys is, like, 
as vintage toy collectors and as collectors, um, does it bother you guys when, like, let's say you have the true original vintage, let's say, like, Hasbro G1 Optimus Prime, but then, like, Hasbro re-releases the G1 Optimus Prime all over again, and you're like, well, you know, there goes the market. No, um, I'll, I guess I'll take this first. Yeah. No, because true collectors know the difference between a G1 and a non-G1. You know, true collectors know the difference. You know, GI Joe collectors know the difference between a a straight arm Joe and a non-straight arm Joe. I think I think what it does is it kind of reinvigorates you know the that kind of feeling of nostalgia, and I think that's where you know you know the, these damn toy makers you know <laughs> they and I think I told you this, Steve. I said you know I said I was, I'm I'm gonna have to spend more money on stuff. I think they pulled it pulled the heartstrings because they pulled the heartstrings of us during the 80s because we know that like we were we were kind of that era that just you know ran the gambit you know and we had the Ghostbusters we had the Ninja Turtles we had this stuff and that's what they're re-releasing um, like they just re uh, uh, released or that it is releasing that GI Joe classified series which is um, the six inch figures you know so they're kind of going that you know. Um, the uh, the Marvel Legends route, you know, when releasing GI Joes with a little bit more articulation and a little bit more detail, but they're six inch figures. I think those are cool as hell, you know. And you know, the problem that we talked about last episode was the scalpers. You know, everybody's grabbing as many of them as they can to flip them, you know, because they know that they're in demand right now. But no, I mean, if they re-released, you know, like the Hasbro, you know, um, just re-released the GI Joes, the 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 you know what um. I think that it just brings back that feeling of nostalgia. I think it it really reinvigorates the line. But I think as a collector, you, you can appreciate when they re-release stuff because then the price of the originals goes up. Um, I've seen that a, a hundred times. It's almost like when a new movie comes out, you know, when they say, oh, it's a new G.I. Joe movie or it's a new Ninja Turtles movie or it's a new what the price of the collectibles that you had. Now, if you if you don't own them, you're going to pay a premium for them at those times. But if you do own them, you notice that the prices go up because it reinvigorates the line. And we talked about those lines that are not going away. The He-Mans, the the um, the G.I. Joes, the Ninja Turtles, those the Transformers, those lines that are going to go on forever even after probably we're gone you know and so i think i think it's a good thing it's a it's a it hurts our wallets a little bit uh, if, if, if you're into a certain character like uh for me it would be like a, a cobra commander a destro a baroness you know stuff like that a sergeant slaughter you know it would hurt my wallet a little bit but i think overall you know it just reinvigorates the line and and, and it's kind of neat you know for us that have kids you know to to kind of introduce it like oh let's pick up a gi joe figure you can play with this new one and here's the old one that i had yeah yeah that's yeah you know what that's true man because it's true what you said uh aaron because like when i see these re-releases of, of vintage toy lines it does spark this happiness in my heart where i'm just like wow like you know it just brings this joy like wow i remember this when i was a kid and there are there are times where i go and try to buy the the re-releases um and you know for me it, it doesn't bother me because like you said it does spark a certain uh happiness and a memory in my childhood but i have met certain toy collectors that are just like well well look what they're doing uh you know that's that's not right why are they reissuing that like that's just making it easier for that person instead of hunting down the original and i don't know ben how do you feel about that 
So I, I kind of cut two ways on this because I'm, you know, both a, a collector and a dealer. Um, and I guess the first thing I want to say is people that are being massive dicks about, like, if you only buy the reissues, you're not a real collector. That's a load of crap. Anybody that enjoys toys enough to go out and buy them for themselves is a collector. That's just, that's how it works. You know, being an ass about it isn't going to help the community at all. But I know there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, but it's, you know, it's the no true Scotsman fallacy. Um, but that said, with with straight reissues, like what's happening with Ghostbusters right now, and what's happened with Transformers a bunch of times, you know, a lot of times that does, you know, that might tank the value of a figure for a while. Um, famously, Transformers Fortress Maximus was reissued in 2013, and they produced the crap out of the reissue, um, and that chopped Fort Max's value in half for, you know, almost 10 years now. He's still kind of on the road to recovery, but he does eventually recover. And like Aaron said, the purists who do want to spend the money to go out and make sure they're getting an original one, generally official reissues do have ways of telling that it's a reissue and not an original. Um, but, you know, as a collector, a lot of this stuff is getting so expensive as to be unobtainable to people. And so if they're going to reissue it, and it does bring more people into the hobby at a financial level that they're, they can handle and get enjoyment out of it, you know, especially in the kind of economic crunch that we've been in, and it's, it's going to get worse, you know, for people to go out and just, oh, yeah, you know, Egon was my favorite. I'm going to go grab an Egon at Walmart. That's great. I don't see anything wrong with that. And right now, the, the 80s toys market is so uh, bullish that I bet that the original Ghostbusters weren't really hit the way that Transformers have been at certain point um, throughout history. Um, so collectors of the originals don't really have anything to worry about. And sometimes, you know, a reissue might serve as kind of a gateway for people to get into collecting where it's like, okay, they you know they bought all the reissues because they saw them in Walmart one day, and they're like, oh man, I remember these. I want to collect these, and then pretty soon they're in it deep, and now they're out looking for the originals. You know, they get into the community, they get into finding out the differences and and making the effort to to get this stuff. Um, so as far as reissues go, I generally don't see harm in it. Um, the the point that I draw. Um, a distinction is with like knockoffs and counterfeits, um, especially of accessories. Um, so like there's there's a huge market, and there has been for a long time, especially in like Star Wars, for reproductions of parts that are hard to find because there's only so many of them out in the wild to be had. You know, there's only so many heavy metal microphones that weren't thrown away, you know, 30 years ago. So if you want to display it, you can go on eBay and get a repro one for five bucks. And that's fine up to the point where somebody tries to pass it as the real deal. Because right. that, that, I hate that shit. You know, yeah, that's yeah. dishonest. 
it hurts the community, it makes people have more of a visceral reaction against any kind of reissue. You know, usually there's a tell, like you were saying with the Ghostbusters, the backpack sizes are different, they just don't fit the old ones. Um, you know, and there's there's a tell on a lot of other things. And so, as long as there is a, a way of dis- distinguishing a reissue or a reproduction, um, I'm okay with it because it allows people to have things that they might not otherwise be able to have. You know, right. the, the snobs that pay $400 for a tiny eighth-inch long curled piece of brown plastic are going to be upset regardless. But that was their choice for buy, you know spending $400 on this tiny frickin' uh, microphone. Um, but I think that toy collecting works best when more people can be involved you know and it, if you don't constantly bring new blood into it like Aaron was saying you get the reissues you're like here here's you know to your son or daughter here's kind of the toys that I like this is one you can play with now and that way you don't have to touch daddy's you know $150 complete Zartan <laughs> you know you can you can play with this one and that brings new people into the hobby. And if you don't do that, eventually your hobby's going to die out. You know, and it's happened throughout history with a lot of things. Um, you know, just go look up the price of like a, a nicely restored Model T. Well, who, who owned Model Ts? Your grandpa, you know, or your grandpa's dad. Those are the people that connected to that car. And then the generations after didn't really, and so they never went out and bought a collectible one. So now you can pick these things up for a dime a dozen, you know, a 120-year-old car. You're like, oh, wow, that's got to be rare and valuable. Not really. Nobody wants them, you know. All the guys that used to be into that thing are old and gone. And eventually that happens with everything unless you bring a new generation in, unless you get a new generation of young people interested. And uh, I'm all for that, you know. I'm I'm younger than most uh, '80s toy collectors, and I'm friends with you know Jake is younger than me still, and so that's that's good to get that kind of you know new age range involved in these hobbies, and the reissues are a great way of doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's that is. The, I mean, like both you and Aaron had like powerful points there, and it's true, man. It's it's just a way to bring in the new generation and keep the toy collecting community going and, you know, pass on the things that we love, you know, when we were kids. And I mean, it's, it's honestly right now, it's, it's one of the best times to be a a, a toy collector. There's just so much out there, so much to collect. Like I said, there's a lot of independent toy lines like NECA, uh, Diamond Select, uh, Super 7. There's a bunch of other independent toy lines making a lot of, and actually the fans on Instagram, I've seen a lot of fan toy lines uh, or fan uh, created um, uh, toys like Turtles, G.I. Joe's that just look amazing. Like, for example, um, I don't know if you guys remember the cartoon Dinosaurs from like the early 90s, um, late 80s. And there were these dinosaurs that when they landed on Earth, they can talk English, but they were dressed in like military fatigue and there was a toy line made, but it only ended up in Mexico. And there's a, there's a guy on Instagram who actually produced the toys that were never produced for America. And he's trying to commission it so that us toy collectors that grew up with the show can collect it. So I don't know. I just feel like, you know, 
with the reissues, I'm on the same boat as you guys. It's a, it's a great way to like keep it going, uh, keep the toy collecting community going. There's a lot of uh, wonderful people online creating great figures. And man, we're at the one hour and 38, 38 mark. And like this was like our longest podcast. And honestly, we can go on for another two hours about G.I. Joe. But I feel like we hit a lot of great points. And uh, Ben, is there anything that we missed? Because we we spoke about the original toy line, uh, how it started, the prices, some of the vehicles. If people want to get into it, uh, what are they gonna pay? Um, I don't know. How do you feel? I feel like we hit most of the the, the big points here. Yeah, I, I tried to get a pretty good primer out there. Obviously, with the line being so huge, there's a lot of like really specific information, like you know. If you're going to get into collecting some of the more expensive vehicles, what should you look for, all that. But I think as a general overview, I think we pretty much covered all the ground. Um, there is one thing we missed, not the toy line, though, and that's the fact that G.I. Joe, the original toy line, had two cartoons. Wait, uh, I, I didn't know that. Okay, there was a second series produced starting in, I think, 1989 by Deke Entertainment. And huh. it ran for a couple years. It was it was a very small number of episodes. I think it was less than half the original series. But yeah, I think yeah, I think I actually had information on that because the original was produced by Marvel. Yeah, Marvel um, and Sunbow. It, right, and so and then in because that was that sixty-five episode minimum rule that we talked about last time for syndication, um, and then. In the third season, they lost the rights to Deke. And then 1989 to 1991, it was another 44 episodes. But, yeah, Deke Entertainment took over um, in 89. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it, the storylines are largely unrelated, but there's enough of a gap between them where it's plausibly the same, like, characters in the same universe. Um, but it was it was kind of a different animal, and I guess it didn't stand out to me as much as the the first um, yeah. cartoon. But maybe we'll have to do another follow up on some of the other uh, GI Joe can, stuff in the future. I can probably wrap that up pretty quickly in a in a bow because um, that was something I wanted to talk about real quick. Anyways, it was because of the movie. So the movie was never released in theaters, the G.I. Joe movie. Um, it was it was a release straight to home video. And then they kind of released it kind of like the five part miniseries, um, you know, on TV later on. But that movie, um, it, the reason it wasn't released in theaters was um, because of the failure of the Transformers movie and the My Little Pony movie. So they didn't want to release the G.I. Joe movie, even though it probably would have done better than the two um in the theaters and one thing the, that that happened in the movie that um uh i found was interesting that you touched on at the beginning steve was that nobody died right nobody right. died in any of the cartoons any of the stuff well duke in the movie spoiler alert if you don't never watch the movie turn off the mic if you're listening <laughs> Uh, to, you know, stop, stop here. Spoiler alert. Duke gets shot with a, a Serpentor's arrow, which is like this, you know, he basically takes a snake kind of like out of Conan the Barbarian, ends up turning it into the, the, the uh, um, bow and arrow, shoots Duke through the heart. The writer of the movie was like, Duke's dead. 
he's dead, he dies, whatever, because they were reintroducing the the new toys in the new toy line. They were cycling out the old, bringing back in the new because of Optimus. Okay, spoiler alert. If you've never seen the Transformers movies, turn it (laughs) off. (laughs) Um, uh, if you've never seen the Transformers movies because of Optimus Prime dying in the, in the original movie and that scarred kids for life. I think we talked about that last time. Um, that was why they said, Nope, Duke's not dead. He's just in a coma and they brought him back. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting that like they went that route because that was the whole point of the movie was the cycle out the old and bring in the new and that's when Deke Entertainment took it over. They kind of ran with that idea. But there was supposed to be um, the season three was supposed to be Zamot and Tomax bringing in um, um, a new kind of, uh, you know, fresh uh, uh, look at Cobra. And instead of Cobra, it was going to be called the Coil. What? Yeah. Okay, I didn't even know any of this. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of like, you know, that was the movie segue into the show, but then Deke Entertainment took it over and um they they kind of segued into the uh a different a different line cuz obviously they had different writers. Wow, I didn't even know that. <laughs> you and Ben just uh gave me some some a history lesson on GI Joe that I didn't even know. I I didn't even know cuz Deke didn't Deke uh, produce the real Ghostbusters? The the yeah, they did. Deke did do Ghostbusters, real Ghostbusters. He did a lot of shows in the eighties. They did they did quite a few. I think that was kind of one of the the major productions, and I think that's why they. I, I don't know if they ended up getting in a bidding war with Marvel or if they just lost the rights and kind of like you know if you don't um you know pay to keep your patents up, you know somebody can come in and scoop up a patent. I don't know if that's what happened with the um the GI Joe. I don't know where that line was drawn but yeah um deke ended up it's it's weird because there was that gap of like three years with no cartoon on the air so it kind of makes me think that the the sunbow marvel cartoon just wasn't getting the ratings and hasbro hung it up for a while like they did with other brands you know transformers didn't have a cartoon for the last several years and then they probably brought in Deke as a, a try to rejuvenate it, uh, you know, going into the 90s. Um, but I don't think that they really directly abutted one another um, with production. It just kind of the original cartoon fell off after the movie and, and they just, you know, wanted to try again to sell the new stuff. Um, but yet that's, that's just my speculation. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm just looking up here online because uh, uh, I guess it says in 2008, Deke was acquired by the Cookie Jar Group. Then it was folded into it. As of 2012, most of the Deke library is currently owned by Wild Brain, formerly DHX Media, after DHX acquired the Cookie Jar Group in October 22nd of 2012. Huh. So this media group, Wild Brain, currently owns all of the Deke Library since 2012. Interesting. I didn't it's even just know like that. Hasbro gobbling up all the toy companies from the 80s. Yeah, wow. Wow, man. Listen, we learned so much today, and the audience lis- listening right now, we, like, we can keep going on and on about G.I. Joe and the cartoons and um, Ben and Aaron. And Aaron, thank you for that, for saying that stuff about 
you know, the 89 cartoon and breaking it down for us is that's something I didn't know. So I hope everybody listening to this episode of G.I. Joe, you know, learned a little bit about something. I know I did. Again, I don't know everything about toys. I wish I knew everything about toys, but I'm learning. Uh, I'm learning about G.I. Joe, Transformers and Masters of the Universe right now. Those are the three lines I'm trying to learn more of. And thank God I have Ben when it comes to Transformers. So, <laughs> Ben, you are my Obi-Wan Kenobi when it comes to uh, Transformers. So, You got it, man. Whenever you want to do that 500-part uh, miniseries on Transformers, I'm ready. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, you know, guys, this was great. This was a, a, another great episode. Uh, and like I said, yeah, this was almost two hours, an hour and 47 minutes. And for those listening, uh, you can find us on YouTube at Zero Box Price Podcast. Don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe to us. Also, you can follow Zero Box Price Podcast at anchor.fm and head over to our Facebook page at Serial Box Prize Podcast. Uh, ben, is there anything you want to plug in? Uh, like I said, look forward to Transformerland.com having its own shiny new um, G.I. Joe Real American Hero Collector's Guide. Um, I've been rolling it out gradually. If you know our site well enough, you'll be able to find your way there. Um, once, once I get to a point where I'm liking how it looks, we'll get it uh, published everywhere and have big, uh, highly visible links to check out. Um, and coincidentally, we will be listing some G.I. Joe figures and vehicles on the website for sale next week. Awesome, awesome. Aaron, was there a toy that you were looking for before? You plugged in a toy last time. You're looking for something, right? I'm always, I'm always looking, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, uh, I mean, for the G.I. Joe lines, you know, like I said, you know, it's, it's all about the bad guy, ve- bad guys and vehicles. So I'm always looking for, you know, I guess you could say right now I'm looking for Zartan parts, you know, um, if, if we're talking G.I. Joe, but any his tanks, any buzz bores, any, anything that uh, any Cobra vehicles. I mean, that, that's the that's the stuff that that I like. Let's talk after the show. awesome awesome so for those listening if you didn't know anything about gi joe now you know and knowing Knowing is half half the battle (laughs) (laughs) thank you everybody for listening and thank you for ben and eric and we are out of here for another episode of the toy Isle.